I'm Jeff Sturtz, and this is Wide Awake, a podcast offering biblical insight and encouragement. There are so many things for us to enjoy, and it's great to enjoy something. A day at the beach, a hobby, maybe woodworking or baking, painting or fishing. Maybe you really enjoy curling up and reading a good book, or finding a hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Maybe it's hunting, doing a reno, finding a new piece of clothing, traveling, a movie, ice cream, music. All of these things can be really enjoyable. We find pleasure in them. They give us a sense of accomplishment, satisfaction, relaxation, amusement, fulfillment, and many other things. As long as it is not something that God is displeased with, we can sincerely say that these things are good things for us to enjoy. When God created the world, He said that it was good. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Paul tells Timothy that God is a God who gives us things richly to enjoy. And it's good when we enjoy the things that God gives us. That's at least part of what it means to be content. It shows our satisfaction with God. But when sin enters into the equation, it takes the things that God has meant for us to enjoy and turns them into things that we place undue, inordinate affection and attention on. And when this happens, we end up doing downright, foolish, unreasonable things. We've talked already about idolatry. We've talked about how we place undue, godlike value on things and desires and ideas. We've talked about how we try to control an idol and get things from it, only to wind up having it control us. But I'd also like us to notice how idolatry can lead us into pure and painful folly. This senseless, idolatrous lifestyle is something that Israel fell headlong into before they were exiled into Babylon. And the prophet Isaiah tells the Israelites exactly what God thinks of this. In doing so, he offers this very descriptive, sort of sarcastic picture of what an idol maker and an idol lover does. It's in Isaiah 44, starting in verse 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha! I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol and falls down to it, and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. So, there's something weird going on here, and the implication is sort of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you have someone who is only human, actually trying to manufacture something divine. As if the divine thing needs human help. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If the thing is divine, then it shouldn't need a human to bring it to life, or to protect it, or to help it. It should be the other way around. 
On the other hand, you have the pinnacle of God's creation, mankind, bowing down to and seeking help from something he has total mastery of and control of. So the wooden block that you are worshiping, you helped it grow, you cut it down, you made it look pretty, not the block itself. And with the rest of it, you threw some of it into the fire to keep yourself warm and used some of it to cook your stew with. Pretty ridiculous to think about that piece of wood, how it's going to do anything for you that you didn't make it do for yourself, isn't it? So what sin does is it flips the whole creation on its head. Instead of God, man, creation, now the shrub out back is the Lord and provider. The man worships it. And the creator, well, he is entirely ignored and not even a factor in this picture. The one who made the rain fall and the sun shine and gave nourishment to the thing that you love so much is not even in the thought of the idolater. Now, we might look at this and say, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But I want us to stop and look at the prayer that this idol maker makes to his idol. And we'll see that we're not so different from this individual as we may think. Remember his prayer to the thing that he just made? He says, deliver me, for you are my God. We might not get down on our knees in front of a carved wooden block and make this prayer, but we may just be setting our hope on something to satisfy us and to provide us ultimate enjoyment and pleasure that it was never meant to provide. And it might even be something that you worked hard to make. Let's look at a couple different examples. You've worked hard to raise your children, to get them into school, to help them advance in their sports career or get a scholarship or earn some awards. But rather than simply have high hopes for them, as a parent, you've centered your life on that child and on whether that child is going to achieve your dreams for them. Now don't let me down. My heart is counting on you to succeed. Don't let me down. Make me proud. Make me satisfied. And you look for ultimate satisfaction in what your child can provide you rather than God. On the one hand, you think that your hard work and investment and sacrifice should mean that your child will give you satisfaction and that your work warrants this. On the other hand, you have forgotten that your satisfaction and hope should rest in God, not what your child becomes or achieves. Or how about this? You've worked so hard since graduating high school or college. You've given your blood, sweat, and tears to getting a good-paying job. Your dream? You want to live in a house on a nice piece of land where you can raise a family, have some livestock, live the life. But more than a dream, this is the most important thing in the world to you. You've sacrificed to it. You've put it in front of other very important things. It's what you think about, talk about, cry about, get angry about. You're not praying it, but you're thinking it. This will satisfy me if I get it. You expect, on the one hand, that the thing that you created, the thing that you built, will deliver you from boredom, deliver you from a lack of purpose, from discontent or unhappiness, or whatever. On the other hand, you forget that God gave you your brain, your muscles, your energy. He knows you, and He knows what you love and what satisfies you. He made the lamb, the cattle, the wood to build your house, and so on. Everything that you are hoping will satisfy you, He made. And yet, instead of looking to Him for satisfaction... You look to the thing that you made. But of course, it won't. It won't satisfy. And your pursuit of this displaces God who truly can satisfy. Paul tells Timothy to warn the rich not to, quote, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But it's not just riches. It's anything that we think we can make satisfy us rather than God. 
We looked at David last time from the Psalms. Well, he writes in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord who satisfies you with good. He also says in 107 to thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Look for satisfaction in nothing else. Look for hope in nothing else. Look for salvation in no one else. It is God who satisfies, not what you can make, manipulate, muscle out, or manufacture. To do that is foolishness. And remember, it's God who made everything and God who made you. So enjoy what God has given you. Be content when you suffer loss, but look to Him alone to truly satisfy, and He will. Thanks for listening. If you don't know what it means to know God personally, please don't hesitate to reach out. And we'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know God. You can email me at info at wileygospel.org. If you're not plugged into and regularly attending a local church in the Wiley area, I invite you to come out and visit us. You can find the times and location on our website, wileygospel.org. I look forward to sharing with you more encouragement from God's Word here on Wide Awake.